And it's so good to see all of you here tonight to go through Philippians. We're coming to the close. And I'm going to be letting you know more, a uh, little bit more involved uh, explanation of where we're headed after Philippians. We're going to do this series on divine healing. It's going to take eight weeks. It's, it's, we're not going through a book. We're going through a topic. But the reason we're doing it is because we need people who have been trained to believe God. People have been taught, might be a better word, to believe God. And to pray with us down on this altar, pray with people who are in the hospital. And we're going to launch a healing room down the road where, think about it, think if today you had received a, a, a bad report from the doctor. And inside of you, you're, you're freaking a little bit. So what am I going to do? First thing you want is somebody who will believe God for you. You want that doctor? Sure you do. We're never going to be a church that tells you to get away from doctors. That's crazy. But we're going to pray for you. And we're going to have a room where you can come and be prayed for. Uh, and that room will be open at certain times. We'll be talking about that time. But anyway, in a couple of weeks, on the 23rd, we will launch that series on healing. It's nothing but the Bible. It's just Word of God all the way through. And it's a great series. And so I want to just kind of let you know about that as we head towards it. Now, tonight, Philippians, the Christian's Guide to Joy. And okay, on that screen, fellows, it's, I can't see it good. There we go. So let's pray together. That's it. Great. And we're going to talk tonight about something where all of us live, the power of a guided thought life. And so let's look at that now. Father, we thank you for the power in what we think. And thank you, Lord, that our thoughts must come into the captivity of Jesus Christ. And thank you, you've given us a way to walk in victory in our thought life. And I pray, Lord, as we deal with this issue and this battlefield of the mind tonight, that you will speak to every one of us. Now, will you breathe a prayer and say, Lord, tonight, speak to my heart. And I receive the renewing word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him you are what you think. You can be seated. Amen. The power of a guided thought life. Now, last time we saw that Paul dealt with our interior life, our soul life in Christ. And he talked to us about peace. You remember that last week? the peace of God. He talked to us about walking in peace and not walking in what? What's that five-letter word? Worry. You need to be worried that you couldn't remember that. <laughs> we are, as Christians, are not to walk in worry, but we're to walk in the peace of God. Now, this requires a guarded thought life. Our thoughts are guarded by God's peace. They're guarded by the peace of God, which among other things guards our minds from the worry thief. And I believe you can walk in worry or you can walk in peace. And I want to tell you again tonight, God's will for every believer is not that you experience peace every once in a while, but the normative Christian life is that peace dominates your mind. And if you're not having peace about something, or if you're walking around not peaceful at all, perhaps there's something you haven't prayed about or there's something in your life that you need to bring to God because the normative Christian life is to walk in peace. 
And I, really. Now, I can't say that 24 hours a day I have peace. When I'm in rush hour traffic, I'm fighting to find it. It's, to me, hell would be endless rush hour traffic. But I can tell you that for the most part, I walk with a peaceful heart. I do. And sometimes I got to fight to get it. Sometimes I got to pray through. But I am determined that I'm going to walk in it because it's God's uh, inheritance for us. We're to be peaceful people. Now, worry solves absolutely nothing. Remember, Jesus discussed this at length in the Sermon on the Mount. Paul tackled the worry issue in uh, chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. We should trust God with all the minute, intimate details of our life as our caring Heavenly Father. He cares. Now, this time, Paul's going to deal with the importance of our thought life. So look at this. A guarded thought life must be accompanied by a guided thought life. If you're going to have peace, a guarded thought, thought life, you've got to have a guided thought life. You're not going to have peace if your thoughts are out of control. It's not going to happen. You've got to have those thoughts under control. And we're going to talk about that tonight. Now, look what he writes. Now, I want everybody to read this with me. It looks like a poem, doesn't it? Everybody preach it to me now. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are honest, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, and whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, do what? Meditate on these things. Think on these things. Now notice, who's the one in charge of the thoughts? We are. We're told, guide your thoughts to these things. Now, when we find our thoughts wandering down questionable paths, we've got to resolutely take them in hand, take charge. We must practice the deliberate cultivation of positive biblical thinking, not Norman Vincent Peelish positive thinking, biblical positive thinking. I, wanna, I don't want you to confuse Paul's use of the concept of positive thinking with the modern-day psychology preachers uh, uh, use wrongly all the time. Positive thinking preachers. Because they're not thinking of doing it in Christ. The Christian says, I can do all things through Christ. The modern-day positive thinking preacher says, I can do all things, period. But guess what? You can't. You can't. You can do it through Christ, but you can't if it stops with you. You can't. Now, God has made us in such a way that we cannot consciously think of more than one thing at a time. I, I, I dare you to try right now. Don't think of that pink elephant. You can't think, you can't focus on me and think of something else. If you start thinking of something else, you're no longer focused on me. We can only think of one thing at a time, which is good news. If we're thinking of something good, we cannot at the same time be, think, be thinking of something bad. So we can avoid destructive, unprofitable thoughts by choosing to think of their alternatives. Now catch this, everybody. Because remember, this letter is being written to us from a man in prison. And you think he wasn't tempted to think negative thoughts? to spiral down, to get the blues. 
You better know he was. But he said, from prison, whatever is true, honest, just, pure, lovely, and of good report, any virtue, any praise, think on these things. So he was doing it. Now, in another place, Paul tells us that our warfare with the forces of darkness takes place primarily in the arena of thoughts, in the battlefield of the mind. Before I turn to the verse in Corinthians, there's another place where Paul talked about the fiery arrows of the wicked one. Remember that? In, in Ephesians 6, the fiery arrows of the wicked one. What's a fiery arrow? A fiery arrow is a thought. And Paul is saying, Satan draws the bow, pulls back, and shoots the arrow, and it's a thought on fire. It's a thought on fire. It's on fire because it's from a fiery place. And it can be a temptation. It can be a fear. It can be a suicidal thought. But a fiery arrow is a thought shot into your mind by the enemy, according to Paul. So there you are. Everything's fine. You're walking along, driving down the road, and all of a sudden, bang, a thought hits your mind. And it could be unclean. It can be fearful. It can be hopeless. It can be, it can be depression. And it begins to work on you. His intent when he shoots the fiery arrow is that it lodges in your mind and burns. And we've got to get to the place we recognize when the thought is from God or when a thought is from the enemy of our soul or when the, the, a thought is just from our own personage. Paul said, the battlefield we're on is in the mind. Virtually every battle we experience is in our mind. The mind is the playground of the devil if you don't give it over to God. He writes to the Corinthians, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, fleshly, or human. But they are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. So we have weapons at our disposal that can pull down a stronghold where? In your mind. And now he's going to tell us what a stronghold is comprised of. Here it is. Casting down arguments. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So look, arguments, high things. Arguments and high things. There's castles in the mind. Strongholds in the mind. He says, they come against you uh, and against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now, I want you to notice the last part of that passage because there's God's will for you and me. Say it with me, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now, he's not going to tell us to do that if we can't do that. He's not going to tell us to do that if he wasn't doing that. We've got to get to the place where when we see a fiery arrow come in, it's a temptation. Here it is. You're driving down the road. Let's say you used to have a problem with alcohol. 
and you're driving down the highway and you've been clean for a long time and you're driving down the highway and you're listening to the radio and you're not thinking of anything and pow, a thought hits. And with that thought comes a, an impulse, a, a surge, a sense, a craving. Oh, I would sure like a drink. And then with the thought, well, why don't you go ahead? It's been a long time. You deserve a break today. You had a hard day. Everybody was against you. All you're going to do is loosen up a little bit. You'll stop. So see that exit? See that sign? And you can almost feel yourself wanting to turn. It's the impulse. It came out of nowhere. Fiery arrow, shot from hell, hoping it will lodge and hoping that it will be accepted. And Paul is saying, I, God has given us weaponry whereby we can seize that thought and bring it down and throw it out before it can lodge. Okay? Now, that's just an example. If you don't pull it down... And you do begin to do what that thought is insinuating or tempting you to do. And you do it over and over again. It develops into a stronghold. And part of the stronghold is the justification for doing it. It's an argument. It's a high thing. And it exalts itself against the knowledge You've got two choices, the knowledge of God or arguments and high things that oppose the knowledge of God. They oppose the knowledge of God. They oppose you living clean. They want to give you a justification for living in, at least in one area of your life. Well, here's a real common justification. Hey, you're right. You're about as right as right can be. You can have this one little area that's in rebellion against God. Because everything else in your life is right. And after all, who's that right but you? You're, you're almost totally right. You can have that one little area. God understands that one little area. You've always been weak in that one little area. Go ahead and give into that one little area because everything else is okay. But you don't understand that one little area is grieving the Spirit. That one little area is taking you down. That one little area is establishing a beachhead which will become a stronghold, which will not be a little area forever. It will grow because sin never remains the same. Arguments, high things that stand up against the knowledge of God and say, I've got a better way, a better idea. And here's my argument for you, my judge. And until, oh, I could just stay right here tonight. Just right here. Because this is so good right here. We've got to get that. I know so many, listen, there's so many believers out there who are captive to something. And they have a stronghold. And they have a stronghold because there's an argument in their mind that is prevailing, that is allowing them and empowering them and enabling them to keep this thing in their life. It can be anything. Notice his mention now of strongholds, arguments, high thing, knowledge, and thoughts. These are all things of the mind. He's suggesting that strongholds are comprised of arguments that rise up and resist the knowledge of God and the will of God in a person's life. A stronghold is formed in the realm of our thoughts. Do you get that? It derives its power from a lie. See, I know a real 
good and well. Then when I come out here to preach, Wednesday night, Sunday morning, Saturday night, when I come out to preach, I am preaching and I am, I always go to the Word, always spring from the Word, always saturate my messages with the Word because I know the Word is what works. And the Word gets out there and it begins to pummel the lies and the strongholds that are in people's minds. And, and, and it pulls those lies down because the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and the marrow, and it discerns the thoughts and motives of the heart. So you, you share that Word and hear somebody out there in a stronghold in their mind. They've got a lie, and that lie is taking them down. And, and I preach that Word, and I deliver that Word, and the Word strips that thing of its power and a light goes off and they go oh my gosh it's a lie i have believed a lie and right there they start to get set free because you shall know the truth and it's the truth that makes you free all right now watch this it derives its power from a lie a false concept or a belief that takes hold in a person's thinking. Until that lie is exposed and repented of, the stronghold remains. Just that simple. If you don't repent of it and it's not exposed, the stronghold remains. Stronghold, in the, from the Greek, it's very interesting. It means castle in the mind. And in the castle, there is a king. Not King Jesus. But there is something that is ruling your life from the castle in your mind. And until that king, which is the lie, is exposed, you can't cross the moat and bring the castle down. This is the weapon of our warfare. The weapon of our warfare, you're holding on to it. It's the Bible. Only by God's truth as found in his word can a stronghold be torn down and the captive set free. Jesus said, read it with me, everybody. You will know the truth and the truth. It's the truth that sets you free. Of course, the best way to be free is to stay free. <laughs> Isn't that a novel thought? <laughs> the best way to be free is to stay free. And this is where the apostle gives his advice as led by the Holy Spirit. He offers a list of things to think and meditate on. He says, if you want to get free in your mind, you're going to have to direct your thoughts, take charge of your thought life, plain and simple. And he gives us a list of things that we ought to be thinking about, beginning with things that promote inner character. First, we can begin by excluding what is false and think about, quote, whatever things are true. Whatever things are true. You know how hard it is to find truth in this culture? Man, this culture is virtually one great big fat lie. So many things are not true. Even actresses and actors don't look like what they want you to think they look like. You've seen those actresses with no makeup? Oh! It's a lie. They're airbrushed. It's not even true. All you women that are insecure looking at those pictures, forget it. They don't look that way. It's true. So much is a lie. Fabricated, concocted, made up. There are those who say that in order to address falsehood, we should familiarize ourselves with what is false. 
But the Bible says, be babes in evil. This itself, that we need to know all about falsehood to be able to answer falsehood, is a false concept. The simplest way to expose a crooked line is place a straight edge alongside it. That's it. You want to expose a crooked line? Hey, straight man, straight woman, get right up next to it and it'll show all the crookedness in it because you're living straight. Bankers and law enforcement officers don't spend endless hours studying counterfeit money in order to catch counterfeiters. No, they don't. What they do is they make themselves thoroughly familiar with genuine bills so a counterfeit is quickly recognized. So the more we know truth, the more we will quickly recognize a falsehood. And boy, this is needed in the church. The church, in my opinion, is experiencing a discernment crisis because we're not in the Word enough. You ought to be in the Word every day. I do my best to be in the Word every day. Rare is the day I'm not in the Word at some time during that day, but most days, first thing in the morning, I get in the Word before I eat because I want to be fully focused on that Scripture. I'm meditating in the Word of God, not because I'm super spiritual, but I know I've got to wrap my mind in the Scriptures. And the more I know the Scriptures, when the devil walks into something, I'm going to see it because I know the real thing. So if a fake starts talking, I go, wait a minute, that's not what I've been reading. That's not what I've been seeing in the Word. Something's wrong with that. Amen. Our, our problem today is that so many that have not familiarized themselves thoroughly with God's Word in the church, consequently, they're easily fooled by a counterfeit, and it happens all the time. The solution is to meditate on whatever things are true. Start with the Bible. Now, next, Paul advises us to think on whatever things are honest. The word translated honest is from a Greek word meaning honorable or venerable. He's advocating that we think about things that are respectable. Now, I want you to think about that. Whatever things are honest, venerable, respectable or worthy of our respect. I want you to think on that. In a Jerry Springer generation where the tawdry and the cheap and the tasteless and the crude rule the hour, we are bombarded from every side with people talking about the most intimate details of life with no regard for what is sacred or personal. The, the line separating the holy from the common, the clean from the unclean, has been so blurred that people go on national TV and talk about their sex lives as if we want to know. And there's nothing sacred, nothing honorable, nothing holy, nothing special, nothing higher than anything else. It's tragic. I... I can't walk, watch that thing anymore. I mean, there's so little left on TV that you can really watch. We Christians, on the other hand, are called upon to keep our minds out of the gutter. Did you know that? And you know how hard that is if you're not in the Word of God and you're not using that weapon that brings down thoughts and brings your thoughts into in captivity to Jesus Christ? Crudeness and coarseness should have no place in a Christian's thought life. We are to cultivate refinement 
and respect for the finer things in life. We are. It's just a fact. Remember hearing David Wilkerson in the 70s, who's now with the Lord, but in the 70s, he was a very prophetic man. He said, I see the day coming when Christians will have to throw their TV out of the living room because of what is going to be on normal network television. And we thought, wow, that's hard to imagine. No more. No more. It's not hard to imagine anymore at all. Can you find a sitcom? Can you find a drama? Can you find anything on ABC, CBS, NBC, MSNBC, any of them? Can you find one that is not riddled with uncleanness and propagating perversion? We're to train our minds to dwell on what is respectable. The Bible says as a man thinks in his heart, that's what he's going to be. As you think, what you dwell on, you know that old saying, you are what you eat? No, you are what you think. You are not what you eat. You are what you think. You are what you ingest in your thought life. That's what you become. It's quiet in here tonight. I didn't mean for it to be that quiet. As we pursue the path of genuine, biblically-based, positive thinking, we can also promote inner character by thinking on that which is just. Whatever is true, say it with me, whatever is true, whatever is honest, and whatever is just. Now the word just means righteous, and it comes from a root word meaning right. Whatever is right, think about that, literally. Many things in this world are not right. And they're not just, and they're not fair. And here's the danger. It's not difficult to become caught up in the injustices swirling around us and allow them to dominate our thinking. I catch myself mad all the time. Now, now sometimes I should be. I'm mad tonight, and I'm going to tell you why in a minute. But it's righteous anger. I believe it is. You're going to hear about it in a minute. But I'm, I'm just, I'm holding it for the right moment. But I really am righteously angry. Now, if you're not careful, you can focus on the injustices that have happened to you, that have happened to your spouse or your kids, and you can just dwell on those things until finally you're focused rather on, on injustices instead of what is just. And you can build cases against people, and then you end up seeking revenge, and that's when you get in real trouble. You can allow your thoughts about what is unfair to sour your soul and embitter your spirit. And you can develop a chip on your shoulder over wrongs that have been committed to you. You know people with chip on their shoulder. You don't talk to them for five minutes. You don't hear about why the chip is there because they're bitter. And our country is becoming a country where almost everybody's walking around with a chip on their shoulder. A racial chip or a financial chip or a religious chip or a sexual chip. And they're double-dog daring anybody to knock it off. And we're divided over it. Paul says, meditate on what is just, not unjust. Paul says, rather, think on those things that are just. Dwell on more profitable subjects. Even in a world of sin, many things are right and they are proper. And you can think about them. Paul managed to dwell on these th kinds of things, even though he had been a victim of great injustices. He didn't dwell on it. 
he wouldn't have made it in our culture because our culture is living in victimhood. Everybody's a victim and everybody's offended. Get over it. Get over it. Just get over it. Next, having dealt with things that focus on inner character, whatever is true, honest, and just, Paul focuses on thoughts that promote inner cleanliness. Read this with me. Whatever things are pure, lovely, and of good report. Nothing can be more detrimental to inner soul health and a Christian's testimony than unclean thoughts. The best way to combat such thoughts is to begin by excluding that which defiles your thought life. We're to think instead on whatever things are pure. Well, in an unclean culture, that's kind of hard to find. But, but again, you're holding on to it. It's your Bible. And God has called us, folks, to guard our thoughts. So he says, whatever things are pure, think about those. And, and how timely this exhortation is for our day. The American culture is drowning in a cesspool of perversion. I never, when I started preaching 40 years ago, I never thought I would see what I'm seeing happening in our culture right now. It's breathtaking. It's breathtaking moral decline. It's almost hard to believe. It's a cesspool of perversion. Wrong is right, right is wrong, good is bad and bad is good and clean is unclean and unclean is clean. And pure is impure and what is impure is being called pure. And if you think the impure is impure, you're impure. What has happened to us? What am I righteously angry about? I'm, I, I, let me just say, this takes boldness, but I'm going to say, I'm so grieved and saddened by the announcement of President Obama today. <laughs> um, I'm not being political. I don't know him. I'm not being political at all. If Bush had done it, if anybody had done it, I don't care if they're green, purple, white, pink, I don't care. I do care about policy and I do care about morality. And to come out and say, I'm behind same-sex marriage, um, flies in the face of the Bible. Jesus himself quoted Moses and said, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. And have you not, he said, have you not read that this is the way it was from the beginning? So you go from, you go from New Testament all the way back to Eden. God made them male and female. And he ordained marriage. He oversaw the first marriage. I've done many, many, presided over many weddings. And with every one of them, I say, I quote Jesus. And what happened in the Garden of Eden? He made them male and female. And if you don't leave your mother and father, you can't cleave to your spouse. And it has nothing to do with race at all. Nothing. It has to do with what is going on here? That in America, we're having the person in the highest office in the land in the world putting his seal of approval on same-sex marriage twisting the Word of God and grieving God. And, and to me, the 
after effects of this, the consequences, the, the residue from this, the shock waves from this is going to travel far and wide and bring such destruction to the home. How many children and teenagers are struggling with their sexual identity and they hear that? They hear that. How many, how many people trying to get out of that lifestyle and they hear that? And what does that do to our understanding of God and what he created and what the Bible teaches? What does that do? It's just sad to me. And, it, and it, it's angering to me. And that just a few weeks ago, the Catholic Church is commanded by the same administration to provide birth control and abortifacients to their employees. Taking away their First Amendment rights, freedom of religion, taking away their rights to walk in a clear conscience, commanding them to do what they don't want to do. What's going on here? We're under attack. And I'm not talking about from a person. I'm talking about fiery arrows, arguments, and high things that are exalting themselves against the knowledge of God. And I want to say to you and to any teenager, any child, anyone listening to me by radio in many, many different states on many 42, 43 radio stations, I want to tell you, you respect the office, but you do not have to go with everything the office says. That decree was not Christian. It was not biblical. It was not right. <clears throat> right. That's right. Amen. So, well, you sound like a narrow-minded religious bigot to me. No, no, no. I'm just quoting the Word of God. What are you quoting? There has to be a source for truth. There has to be a source for truth. Where are you getting your truth? I know where I'm getting mine. And I have every right in the world to say what my truth, that is the Bible, says about it. And I'm going to. And never comes the day, ever, I would ever perform a same-sex marriage. To me, that would just be a slap to God. Now, I can say that in America still, at least today. Pornography has flooded the gates of virtually every home via the Internet. What was once frowned upon and dismissed is now embraced and even celebrated. Our children are learning sex from the internet at 11, 12, 13 years old, even younger. They're losing their childhood sexual progression, evolution, identity, understanding because of the fiery arrows that are being fired away, shot at the American mind. The effort to normalize every kind of perversion is happening at breakneck speed. It's almost impossible to find a single television sitcom or drama that's not propagating impurity. Tell me of one. I'd love to see it. School children are assigned to read books that would have been regarded as filth a generation ago, and those that put them in their hands would have been put in jail. But now our own government is pushing those kinds of books. 
As David asked so long ago, how can a young man keep his way pure? How, how can a person keep his way pure? He answers his own question. Read it with me. By living by your word. That's the only way. By taking heed thereto, according to thy word. Only by the blood of Christ Jesus and the power of God's word and the strengthening of the Holy Spirit can a person keep their mind clean in our day. But you can do it by those three weapons of our warfare. But it's a daily battle, is it not? Tell me the truth. It's a daily battle, is it not? You can't wake up one day and say, well, I'm free. Let me tell you something. You're going to fight until the day you go to heaven. And I'm being truthful with you. Well, you mean I'm not going to reach a victory where I don't struggle with it anymore? No. You're going to fight it till the day you go to heaven. That's part of the good fight of our faith. You're going to fight it because it's coming at you. We must deliberately think on whatever things are pure. Paul continues by advising that we can also promote inner cleanliness by thinking of that which beautifies. Whatever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, that which beautifies. Whatever things are lovely, meaning things that are gracious and kindly, pleasing or acceptable, wholesome. Whatever is useful to others, whatever in your conduct, or whether in your conduct or in your conversation, if it tears others down, weakens them, harms or offends them, this is not lovely. Whatever things are lovely, wholesome, good. But if it builds them up, that is others, strengthens their faith, encourages them in the way of righteousness, or mends a wounded soul, that is a part of whatever things are lovely. Whatever you know that God would smile on. Wholesome, lovely. Finally, Paul closes out his list of alternatives to unprofitable thoughts with whatever things are of good report. Now, I could camp on this one virtue and spend weeks on it. I really could. We're to combat unclean thoughts by thinking on that which builds. We're to think about things that lead to edifying, uplifting conversation. How many times we walk away from a conversation with regrets? Man, I shouldn't have said that. Oh, I wish I hadn't said that. Did I really say that? And I can't get it back. It's like an email. You hit send. Have you ever wanted to go, I can't get it back. That's why you better pray hard over anything you send on email because it's gone into cyberspace. Too often our conversations decline into gossip, idle, useless chit-chat, doesn't lead to anything. Or even worse, we spread a bad report. Whatever is of a good report, that's what you ought to think on. Whose report will you believe? The, the report of the Lord. But that's why I don't like hanging around people who are always giving bad reports. I like people with good reports. People are telling me what God's doing, telling me what God's up to, encouraging me in the faith. But we can spread a bad report, and I'm going to tell you the power of a bad report cannot be overstated. Do you remember that it took only 10 of 12 spies bringing a bad report to the children of Israel to turn an entire generation out of the promised land? It says when they heard the bad report, their hearts melted with fear. No, 
you know, God's led us here to kill us, and they go on into all this foolish talk. But what did it? A bad report. That's the power. Whatever is of a good report, think on those things. There's bad reports everywhere. Don't think on them. Focus on a good one. The Bible says, watch your talk. Now here's Ephesians. I'm quoting Ephesians. This is great. Listen to what it says. I think this is the NIV version. Watch your talk. No bad word should be coming from your mouth. Say what is good. Your words should help others grow as Christians. Edify. It goes on. Do not make God's Holy Spirit have sorrow for the way you live. The Holy Spirit has put a mark on you for the day you will be set free. Put out of your life, he continues, all these things, and then he lists them. Bad feelings about other people. Put it out of your life. Anger, get it out of there. Temper, put it away. Loud talk, stop it. We hear you. Normal talk. In other words, don't scream. Don't scream at people. Don't yell. Um, um, Bad talk which hurts other people. Gossip, slander, defaming. It hurts other people. Don't talk that way. And bad feelings which hurt other people. Here, this is Paul teaching sensitivity 101. I want you to be careful what you say to other people because your words have great power. And don't give a bad report. Give a good report. And he continues, uh, he says, you must be kind to each other. This is chapter 4 of Ephesians, verse 32. You must be kind to each other. Think of the other person. Forgive other people just as God forgave you because of Christ's death on the cross. Now, if we lived Ephesians 4, 29 through 32, would we have a different life? Would it be different at home? Would your marriage be different? Well, don't shout me down now. Would your marriage be different? You that are married, would it be different if you did, if you, Ephesians 4, 29 through 32 at home with your spouse? What about your friends, your kids? Would, would, would life be different if we lived that? Very different. Because your words make or break the atmosphere you live in. Paul closes with a challenge. If there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Now let me tell you a secret. Remember the list. Whatever is true, honest, just, pure, lovely, of a good report, any virtue, any praise. Who does that remind you of? Isn't he just looking at Jesus and breaking him down in eight words? Isn't he really using adjectives to describe Jesus? Really? Come on. The apostle is challenging us to think on, think out, take account of things that are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, good report. These kinds of thoughts will lead us where? To Jesus. Shout it to me. To Jesus. In here, you can shout and get away with it. To Jesus. That kind of thinking will lead you to Jesus. Because those words are describing Jesus. We cannot think of Jesus Christ as being anything but true. We can't conceive of him telling a lie or being deceitful or underhanded, can we? We cannot think of him being anything less than honorable. As missionary statesman David Livingston said, quote, Jesus is a gentleman of the strictest and most sacred honor. On this earth, Christ was always just and fair. 
Whether dealing with a fallen woman or a self-righteous Pharisee, he always brought that which is just. And how lovely he was. Whatever things are lovely. Well, what can I think about that's lovely? Jesus. He was attractive both to strong men and in the noblest, purest sense to women. To meet him was to be unable to forget him. Jesus. He never did an unlovely thing and he had a good report even as a young boy. At his trial, nobody could think of anything he had said or done that could be used against him. Not one thing. They had to lie. They had to make things up. Verse 8 stems directly out of thoughts of Jesus and leads us directly back to thoughts of Jesus. All unworthy thoughts perish in his presence. Amen? Say with me, whatever is true, honest, just, pure, lovely, of a good report. If there's any virtue, any praise, think, set your thoughts on those things. Can you stand with me tonight? Next time, I couldn't think of a better title. You can't knock a thankful man down. And we're almost done with Philippians 4. Hadn't this been a great series? Amen. I've loved it. I really have. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. That, Lord, we can take our thoughts captive to Jesus Christ by the weapons of our warfare. We can bring those fiery arrows down. We can quench them with the word and the blood and the name of Jesus. And Lord, we can't stop the birds from flying around in our mind, but we can stop them from building a nest. We can stop those fiery arrows from lodging within us and bringing a stronghold. And Lord, we can live in good thinking as we set our minds on what is true, honest, just, pure, lovely, and of good report. Help us, Lord, to take this word from Paul who gave it to us by the Holy Ghost. And help us, Lord, to honor you in our thoughts and help us, Lord, in this wicked and depraved world to shine as lights and keep our conscience clear. And we know, Lord, that's going to take grace. And we call on that amazing grace. Now I want you to take a minute. And I want you to think, is there anything in my thought life that has a stronghold? Has anything, a fiery arrow, lodged itself in my mind and it is becoming or has become a stronghold? Listen, you're not going to get any condemnation from me. I know what it is to deal with strongholds. We're not here to condemn anyone. But I want to encourage you right now, give God that developing stronghold, that thing, that that high thing, that argument that exalts itself against you walking in the knowledge of God and say, Lord, set me free. Set me free. Help me to bring it down. 
and see that stronghold obliterated by the name of Jesus. If you need help with your thought life, I want you to say to him right now, say, Lord, I receive this word tonight and I'm asking you to help me to do what I've heard to apply it by faith. Starting right now, give me freedom in my thought life. In the name of Jesus.